Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. It's Thursday, May 18th, 2023, and this is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm Michelle Musso here with a featured program from Consensus 2023 in Austin, Texas. Jenny Johnson, CEO of Franklin Templeton, talks to Coindesk's CCO, Michael Casey, on playing the long game. They discuss the challenges in the present ecosystems and the evolution of cross-chain capabilities. Hope you enjoy. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Some, you got some groupies out there. They're bonuses are coming up soon. So. <laughs> this is not our first radio. We had, I think, had ideas last year, and it was uh, it was really eye opening to discuss things with you because, yeah, as I was sort of suggesting at the beginning, you wouldn't normally think that a firm like yours is at the cutting edge, but it feels like that. And so maybe just so that people get a sense of what you're doing, just. Give us some examples of the, the latest work you've been doing in the digital asset and crypto space. Well, I, the latest work, since I think, <laughs> I think the press release uh, just dropped. Uh, hot off the presses, everybody. <laughs> maybe, yeah, this is hot off the press. Uh, so we, we had um, launched a, our, our Benji money market fund. So SEC approved 40 Act on-chain money market fund. Uh, and it was built on the Stellar network. We have a, you know, the, the shareholder records and the transactions on the, uh, on the public blockchain of Stellar, but we just announced multi-chain now. We are now also on Polygon. So um, we're pretty excited. So any, anybody who's you know, built businesses uh, you know, uh, can uh, take advantage of, of having a on-chain Yield coin. I mean, you know, your money market coin is probably yielding, I think, four and a half percent, and you really get that as U.S. securities backing it. So, we're pretty excited. So, essentially, a crypto money market fund. Like, it, it, it is playing this role of that alternative to to what some people describe as an alternative to a bank account, but it's uh, it's on chain, and it's uh, and, and why the shift? Why did you decide to go multi-chain? Well, I, I mean, I think this this is probably one of the challenges in this ecosystem, right? Is that you're you're somewhat limited on the platform that you've built your business on, and so I think it's going to be a really important evolution to have multi-chain and cross-chain capabilities. Uh, we knew that it was important for us um, to be able to do it there, but we're also we've got a, a few other things going on as well. We actually are node operators on six different nodes. Um, we uh, we have a venture capital fund. We have 
some active strategies that, uh, some SMAs that we, we use a firm called Eagle Brook to be able to deliver it. And they are actively research coins for institutional investors and individual investors who want, you know, I would say the research that our team does on those strategies is as thorough as any research that we have in any of our equity or fixed income groups. So we've got a few things going on. Yeah, and then there's this music stuff, which is music fascinating, stuff. right? So again, I like the contrast of the 60-40 bond portfolio and musicians. So, I mean, if you think about what does blockchain do? So for financial services, why is a company like Franklin Templeton, 75 years old, I say like, the only reason we've thrived 75 years is because we were able to innovate as innovation came along. And I think we're in a, living in a time where it's just massive amount of disruption that's happening and blockchain is gonna lead it, I think, in financial services. So the obvious things are just the efficiencies that you get in the kind of the pipes, the back office. Um, today, every big financial institution probably has a mainframe and spends a bunch of money reconciling between systems. These guys don't know what a mainframe is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, the beauty of the blockchain is once the chain is created, right, the general ledger, you don't have to go reconcile it against it. It is absolutely permanent. You don't have a, uh, they probably don't even know what T plus one settlement is. Right. Uh, but you know, that you, this, the settlement happens immediately. So there's that part of that, right? But actually, what's really interesting, and so um, you know, if you think about what blockchain does, it does three things. It allows a payment mechanism, it al the sm allows a smart contract, and it allows the general ledger. So that's going to take out the frictional costs in a transaction. And if you can reduce the costs of a transaction, you're going to open up new types of investment opportunities. Um, and so the music one is a great yeah. example. And the, the example, Rihanna, before she did the Super Bowl show, she issued 300 NFTs, uh, each I think at $210, and each one represented 0.0033% royalty on uh, one of her songs, one of her big hits. Now, I think Rihanna was just testing it because I don't think the $67,000 or something that she raised was that big of a deal, but just think about what she was doing. She, the reason she could do this is a fan can buy it, is probably gonna pay a premium for it, because they're so excited to have a piece of Rihanna. And as an investor, if you start to collect these opportunities, think about music is not correlated to how other traditional assets in the market do. So the, the blockchain is gonna enable this unlocking of, of these revenue streams. Music would be one. You can imagine sports athletes, right, signing a contract and pre-selling, say, 10% of their future earnings. And just imagine those fans saying, I want to own a piece of, you know, whoever the, you know, your, your favorite uh, sports figure is. So anywhere where there's some sort of revenue stream and value, you can see that this technology is going to unlock it and honestly democratize it. Right. Um, and that's why I think it gets really... Well, it's fascinating because you're looking at it from this very sort of utilitarian, functional perspective of the efficiencies and the uncorrelated assets. But this is other piece that you talk about. Of, it's like a... It's, it's, there's a relatability, right? As opposed to, you know, I want Rihanna's song because, you know, they may pay a premium for it. But it's also just like thinking differently about what value is. Yeah. Right? It's not just this thing that I put aside and forget about and wait 30, 40 years. I'm engaging with this thing, right? Is that, is that the way you... So a couple it? other examples, uh, you know, um, th there's a, I think it's, it's sort of poorly executed, but I, I think it's a St. Regis in Aspen where they tokenized it. Um, they actually tokenized the REIT, but 
imagine that they tokenize the building. And, and so you get paid, your token gets its percentage of profits just like you were an equity owner in a stock, so you're getting like a dividend. But when you check into the St. Regis, you know, we'll, we'll be like, Michael, so great to see you. You're an owner, I've given you a room upgrade. You're seeing sports teams be able to use it to um, you know, create loyalty programs. So the beauty of that chain is that you have comfort that ownership and title, so if I have my token and I sell it to you, you don't have to worry, let's say it represented a piece of the St. Regis, you don't have to go to the title company to validate that you now have legitimate title. You can trust, you can trust the technology to have that transaction. So all those toll takers today can be threatened by this new environment where you've taken out the friction in transactions. It's funny you mentioned this toll, the toll takers, right? We think about the sort of the classic trusted third parties, centralized institutions, banks, and so forth. I imagine some people in this audience might look at Franklin Sampleton and say, well, yeah, they're one of those, right? It's this TradFi concept. But really, in fact, you're on this sort of, at least in terms of the transaction, on the same side as a retail buyer, as anybody, as a DJ or whatever. So you have the same issues with those inefficiencies. So, so it's interesting. I mean, I think that it's really important when you're running a business to understand what your true value is, right? So our true value is we make active investment decisions on behalf of our clients. So blockchain just helps us make that more efficiently and actually opens up many more instruments in which we can invest in. So I'm always looking at, you know, where is a technology threatening and where is it going to be helpful? I do think things like, I mean, I know we won't head down that path, but like AI, you know, as an active manager, you have to kind of look at that and say, where does that encroach mm. on what you do every day? But in the case of blockchain, we are sitting here going, boy, this is going to make us much more efficient and open up so many more opportunities for our clients. And do you think differently about who your client base as well is? I mean, does it feel, you feel as if this gives you a chance to you know, reach out to Gen Zen because, you know, I've got John Zen, Gen Z, I've got Gen Z daughters, and they're not thinking about their retirement, but they are probably thinking about music and everything else. Right? Well, and so. and so you hope, I mean, actually, this is just, this is a fundamental kind of investment lesson. I mean, one of the biggest challenges we have is we don't, people wait too late to invest for retirement. So if you invested, let's say you save $5,000 a year from age 25 to 35, and you got to say a 7% return a year, compounding, when you retire at 65, you will have more money than the person who started to invest at 35, invest 5,000 a year for 30 years, and at the, at the end of that, so that first 10 years makes all the difference on getting people investing earlier. So imagine, you can put away for 10 years or you can put away for 30 years, you can have more with the 10 years. So if this technology and this, this access to these assets gets people investing earlier, I think that's a good thing for all of us. One would think so, I mean, yeah. Um, it's certainly sort of building up that capital base early. Um, I'm gonna have to go here, unfortunately. Uh, it's, it is a major theme of this conference. Um, Regulation. It's a bit of a stressful moment for the, for the community. There's been a lot of uh, action out of a certain US regulator in particular against this world. Um, from your perspective, uh, you know, obviously a quite heavily regulated institution, how do you view this? Like, where, where's this all going and, and, and what's your advice perhaps to people who are building in this space? Yeah, no, so Franklin Templeton, you know, we operate, let's say, offices in uh, 35 countries, clients in 160 countries. So. We're used to a global regulatory environment, and uh, you know it's a classic case, you can't fight City Hall. You need to work with regulators. This is going to be a regulated 
industry. Um, and so we'd rather work with them, which is why with our money market fund, we work closely with the SEC actually on the development of it. Uh, and you know, I can tell you different areas in the world are more advanced than others, more comfortable with it than others. Um, I would say that you know, places like Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, the UAE, they're actually probably a little bit more advanced. Uh, Europe just came out with the, the MICA regulation, which you know, is trying to, trying to start the process of regulation uh, around the crypto world. So I think it's important that we all recognize that this will be regulated, and so it, it's best to kind of work with the regulators on it. Right, but I mean, do, do you see this as a challenge to the United States if these other jurisdictions are being more proactive at this stage? And, you know, your sense, I mean, you must talk to the regulators frequently. Do they get that? Do they, is, there, is there a sense that they are going to have to catch up at some stage, or is the U.S. just going to go on its own merry way? I mean, way? I, I got to tell you, our engagement with the SEC, I mean, they, you know, we'll have meetings that they'll be you know, 30 people in the room, and I think they are very engaged. I think there is a, a bit of a fear of any regulator that, and actually it happened in Singapore, where they passed some regulation, some things blew up on consumers, and they backed away from it a lot. So, you know, the, the, the challenge for a regulator is you make the rules, and everybody says, well, it's your job to protect me. So if it didn't work, you know, it's the regulator's fault. They're the ones who get blamed. So I think that this is a this is a complicated space. And I think, you know, the regulators are trying to be really thoughtful on what their approach is and, and you know, are a little bit worried about passing some regulations that ultimately have unintended consequences. And so you mentioned, though, that you are all over the world in these different places. Um, how are you thinking, therefore, about this ultimately global industry of digital assets? Does that impact where you look to develop these products? Are you still largely U.S. first for the digital assets? Um, no, I mean we have different uh, different initiatives going on in different places in the world. I mean we, we you know we can see that the the global or the the Benji, which today is a U.S. money market fund, but we think that there's an opportunity for a global Benji, uh, and you know again it'll be regulated in all the jurisdictions it happens to, to have transactions in. Um, we you know we think that this is uh, many of these chains aren't limited to the uh, to the to the you know the borders of an individual country, mm-hmm. so. Uh, I think you can assume if you're in this ecosystem, you're going to end up operating broadly. All right, and now another one I want to have to hit here, the, the banking crisis, if that's what we call We do have some news today, yet another one that seems in trouble. Uh, and you mentioned the demand for you know, money market funds and that, and that sort of thing, which I think is an interesting offshoot from concerns about banks. Uh, Jeremy Allaire on this morning, we talked about you know, the positioning of stable coins within all of that. Where do you see all this? And again, from the perspective of, of digital assets, I mean, you take on, you know, what's going on in the banking system, and uh, is, it, is, it, is it stable? Are we, are we okay? But beyond that, what does that tell you about the directionality of the development of these new forms of payment and so forth? You take what's happened in the banking environment. I mean, it, it is a, it's a consequence of a few things. It's a consequence of, you know, the global financial crisis where we uh, imposed a lot more... St- you know, strict regulation on capital for banks and encourage them to invest in, say, you know, secure securities like U.S. government securities, uh, which is what Silicon Valley Bank did. Uh, and then you had an environment where I think it's I think it's 14 months where interest rates have gone up, you know, four and a, four and a half, four point seven five percent. And so, if you're sitting in a bank account earning zero, and you start to realize that there's a money market fund over here earning four and a half percent you're going to have people naturally pull it out. 
it doesn't even take blockchain to require that. Now we happen, because we have this on-chain money market fund, been a beneficiary of that, uh, particularly in, um, in, in the ecosystems of, of both Stellar and hopefully Polygon. Um, we actually have uh, filed with uh, MakerDAO to you know, be a collateral in, in their stablecoin uh, with our money market funds. So um, you know, as money market funds are benefiting, and Franklin Templeton has both on-chain and traditional money market funds, we've seen a flow come from banking assets. I also think this is temporary. I okay. think that, that they, they catch up, the banks will settle. Right, people will just go back to banks and just, I mean, it, 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 did, it did expose, in some degree at least, the, the, the challenges of fractional reserve payment systems, that, that, that inevitably you still have the security of the banking system as a part of this. And, and, and I think, you know, Bitcoin has uh, pushed up towards 30,000 again today. I think that's, there's some connection to the First Republic news, perhaps. Um, so, you know, people are sort of at least, it seems to me as if there's a bit more of a conversation than we've ever seen before about how this whole thing works and that there may be a need for a different approach to payment. And so I suppose, like, how do you, do you have thoughts on how all that evolves? Is there a, you know, the money markets themselves may well be, and it's certainly an on-chain one, a way to deal with that. But. So uh, I think you have to separate the question of the infrastructure and technology supporting a dollar payment system and a non-government-backed currency like Bitcoin, right? So, so I tend to say uh, that Bitcoin is the greatest distraction from the greatest disruption that comes that is coming to financial services, which is blockchain. And that doesn't mean I think that Bitcoin doesn't have value, but I can tell you if Bitcoin ever became so big that it became a threat to the US dollar as a reserve currency, the US would limit, just like we've seen other uh, countries do, would limit the use of Bitcoin because currencies are very important for governments to be able, as a lever, to be able to manage their economies. You're not buying Balaji's $1 million Bitcoin bet in I, 30 days? I <laughs> am not. Now, not again, you know, I actually had a friend of mine said, hey, look, uh, you know, there's value to Bitcoin. My, he's from Israel, and he said my parents and, and, their, and my grandparents all had money confiscated by governments, so it's a fear asset. They're going to always keep a part of their uh, wealth in something that they know the government can't get to and reach. So I, so I do think that there's a place for it. I just think realistically, um, you, you, governments will not cede their currency to this concept of a global currency. Okay. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit as well about, about your, your sense of what your competition looks like in the digital assets world, right? Like you've got, clearly, traditionally, your, uh, your competitors are all traditional mutual fund managers like yourself, but there's, there is this sort of evolving world of funds and structured assets, structured products and so forth that uh, are built just directly on, on digital assets and don't necessarily come through structure that you have. Do you see yourself competing with them, partnering with them? What, what does the market landscape look like? From I think it's more partnering. I mean, I, I do actually think that ultimately a tokenized, so think of a mutual fund or an ETF as just a pooled asset vehicle. I think it's going to make a lot more sense to have a, a pooled, pooled investment vehicle represented in a token because the smart contract is going to allow you when you trade at any time 24 by 7 uh, that you'll know exactly what the value of the underlying securities, mm. right? So today you take an ETF and it trades during market hours, 
um, but it only prices like twice it's a day. It's not going to just dramatically change the sort of the structure of entire capital markets. We've built around these structures, changing, you know, they, they close at a certain time, we have a quarterly audits and everything else. But if we know in real time where everything is, what happens to all those research reports that come out at a certain time? 100%. I mean, Earnings think, predictions and everything Well, else. I think you're still going to have those, right? right. Those, are, those are people analyzing companies, but all of the infrastructure that's there. I mean, you, you close the New York Stock Exchange at 4 o'clock in the afternoon because yeah. you had to then go and settle all those trades. Somebody had to enter them. And then, you know, then we moved to mainframes, and the mainframe was a batch system that had to update at night, right? Well, now with the general ledger of the, of the blockchain, boom, it's done. Yeah. And now I can, I can I, I settle it, and now I can sell it to you two minutes later. Now, I'm not a big believer in you know, day trading, and you know, so I don't necessarily think that that's yeah. great, but... Um, don't do this at home. <laughs> but you, you, it is gonna naturally evolve, yeah. and, and there will be tons of disruption in the system as that happens. Yeah, yeah, all right, well that's a, I think that's a good message to end up on. You heard that folks, tons of disruption coming from uh, one, of the, one of the greats of, of, of American finance, Jenny Johnson. Uh, a round of applause for the CEO of Franklin Templeton. And that's it for our show today. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back tomorrow to dive into our normal crypto roundup.